welcome to the pursuit of evolution. I'm your host, Casey Jordan. This is the place to be for open-minded folks looking to build self-trust and be proactive as they grow through life-changing moments. We go beyond inspiration to give actions and resources every episode. And with that, let's get into the show. Usually I dive straight to the meat of the conversation, but with your story, a little bit of context about who you are and how you've gotten to this point is going to be so valuable to the bigger conversation. So tell us a little bit about your backstory. Yeah, so the backstory is that I was raised in a, what I refer to as a a closed religious community on the East Coast of Canada and had what I thought was a, a happy childhood, right? I mean, I was one of God's chosen people. We were going to be saved in Armageddon whenever Jesus came to smite the unbelievers. We had we had the truth, and that's how the organization referred to itself as well, is, is as the truth. So I was part of the truth, and everyone else was in the world. And it never really, at a certain age, it stopped really resonating with me. I had more questions than answers, but I stuck with it because it was my family and my community. And in my early 20s, in my late teens, I started to, to drift and you know I had fun like a late teen would and then in my early 20s I found rock climbing and became an obsessive rock climber and traveled for the sport trained for the sport my entire physique changed and that was over a decade of my life and when I started to get disillusioned with rock climbing I found that I was kind of a little bit right back at the beginning I had left one closed community for another one because if you're not climbing you're not a climber and if you're not a climber you don't hang out with climbers It was incredibly triggering. And then it's just been the last, again, decade and a bit of journey to be able to move through and and evaluate, like, who am I actually? How can I love this person? Because it was still so deeply ingrained in me that love was something you had to work to deserve. I I, I grew up with this awareness that my, my membership in the community and within my origin family was tenuous. How many times that I... There's a story in my book where I talk about liking a boy and he liked me back and he gave me his hockey jacket and my mom found it and said, keep the jacket and the boyfriend and move out or never talk to him again when you have a place to live. And it was like, oh my God, I'm almost on the street. So I stuck with it. What do you do at 17 when you've been taught that being on the street equals like drugs and death? (laughs) That was going to be the only option so I've I've gotten into what I call my love project of what would it feel like to to be in love with this person with Jessica and to say I love you to this person and to what how does it what does it mean to feel to be in love with yourself and that's been kind of the core of my healing journey that's beautiful sentiment of just what does it mean to just be in love with myself like even just really quickly kind of stopping and running that through for myself. I'm like, (laughs) Oh, there's probably some work for myself to do there. I'm curious. And I know this is not the part of your story I want to stay focused on, but I talk a lot about transitions and knowing it's time to make a hard choice. Mm. As you got into the rock climbing, did you kind of drift away from your family of origin and then look back and realized you couldn't go back? Or was there a moment where you had to make the decision that I'm no longer and step out and the door shut at that moment. There was a point with climbing where I left the community very deliberately and it's in the religion it's referred to as a fade. So there's other ways to leave. You can get kicked out. That's like door slam, you're out. You can write a letter and kick yourself out. Again, you slam the door on the way you're out. And then there's also a fade. And that's why the book is also called Fade to Light because it was 
it was a transition, but it was deliberate. So I moved three times within a year. I think two, at least yeah, two or three times. I was living in Toronto at the time in, in Canada and I deliberately cut off all of my remaining friends from the religion. Just they didn't know where I lived. My parents never visited me at a home address again so that no one could tell the church where I was because when I moved from my last known address, my like, yeah, site last seen, they were on their way that day. The the elders, like the the organizing men from the church were on their way to, you know, have a check-in. You know, this is very soft language, but I knew what they were up to. Right. And I felt that they were coming to kick me out or make me stay. And I called in the cavalry. I brought in as many, anyone who said, you know, the people who casually say, oh, if you need help moving, I called all of them. All of them. I called every bluff. I had a friend with like a small sedan just packed. He could barely see out. And we got my, we, we got me out of that apartment at noon that day before they could come to talk to me. And I just had this lay low fade. And it was in, it's one of those things that I didn't realize the impact it had on me until I wrote about it in the book and thought, oh my goodness, what a, what a trigger that I pulled to leave those people before they could leave me. Cause that was what it was more yeah. related to. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that, that clarification. So I want to dive in cause we've already said these words a couple of times. Can we talk a little more about conditional versus unconditional love? Like mm -hmm. there's kind of that surface level. I feel like I know what those words mean, but also I feel like there's more to it than that. So can we just explore conditional yeah. and unconditional love? Yeah. The way that I've come to understand it is unconditional love is no matter what. And that is, that's the love that I've been working to have for myself. And it's a journey and a process. I'm not here to be like, <laughs> love yourself unconditionally and 10 easy steps by my course. You know, it's like, <laughs> right. just keep showing up for yourself with, with self-trust and, and, and self-forgiveness and acceptance. It, to be unconditional doesn't mean to put up with anything and everything, like thinking of how that would be with, like, with a, another party. And that's where I, I really appreciate your work on boundaries. I'm not, I have set boundaries, but I'm not comfortable like teaching them or telling people like because <laughs> they've been very harsh I think in the way that I've I've had them show up for me so I'm yeah. still learning gentle boundaries and let's see conditional love that was what I was raised with they're like you are here if and I still I can say I'm sure my parents love me I'm sure they gonna, do I was just gonna ask is there that moment of, in that right. way I was gonna add like as you look on your childhood, as you think about conversations with your family in the past, did it feel unconditional? But now you look at it and you see the the words and how they were really used against you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It felt like, I think the second chapter of the book is called Happy Childhood. And I explore, I was a happy child. I, I, you know, we had, we had some yelling in our house, but that was normal and all of the things that happened that were just normal. And then once I came into wanting to be who I am and just even express differently, wear different clothes, it was the nineties. I wanted to have bright pink hair. I wanted to have green hair. You know, I, yeah. I was a grunge kid. I wanted to, to be able to express in these visual ways 
and it was just a almost it was never given to me I shouldn't say never I'm sure it was I don't remember that it was given to me with with conditions of if you dye your hair pink you don't love God enough it was a lot of it is unspoken if my skirt was a little too short I could tell people looking at me differently I was Mm -hmm. I was disciplined within the church kind of like a scarlet letter style but more modern (laughs) if you will (laughs) where an announcement is made that you've you've sinned you've repented and you're on probation basically from God and so feeling the whole congregation the 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 kind of bubble that formed around me of oh that person they're they're a sinner and they're in healing and so you're you're othered there's a lot of othering that happened and isolation is still one of my deepest triggers and I own that I don't think that's going to go away it's something to watch for and it's something that I can speak about and say oh this is one of my this is one of my deepest triggers. I'm feeling isolated right now. What can I do for self-safety? What can I do to protect Jessica to get through mm-hmm. this? I have to imagine then that especially early on in the pandemic that was rough for you. Early on was amazing to be honest. Okay. It was maybe the third or fourth lockdown that I was really really struggling. Yeah starting to feel like a little bit full loco just just feeling living by myself and feeling like a a dirty other that couldn't be invited into someone else's house and going like I haven't been around another human in weeks I'm clean invite me for dinner please so that was really challenging yeah and I assume when when did you start writing the book was some of this driven out of those realizations and probably I would imagine healing and self-reflection that was coming through that time. Definitely a lot of this writing the book felt like I want, so I wanted to write a book about unconditional self-love and I tried to write that book. I took a couple courses that were more about content marketing book, like how to teach. And so it would be that like 10 steps to blah, blah, blah. Right. And I realized so that sitting right here, it's like, I didn't want to write this book. <laughs> I didn't want to write a memoir at 40. I didn't want to share of this. I didn't want to potentially glamorize this upbringing that I had. However, it's, it's otherwise I just sit and I'm this amicable ringleted funny person talking about self-love. And I feel like the world is full of very surface self-love chat and without actually sharing my story of, No, self-love wasn't, and then I told myself I love you, and here's a meme, you know, to tell the story of this is why it has been such a struggle. I started what I call my love project and telling myself I love you. That was 2013. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So it was years of even saying, I'm okay, I don't need to do that anymore. I don't need that practice. I threw myself into a career and made good money and bought cute shoes and got an ego about it and thought maybe I needed a fancy car. You know, Mm -hmm. I fell in and out of, don't, I fell out of this practice and dragged myself back in so many times that the story needs to be told of why, why was this so deeply ingrained? This is, that's similar to the root of why I've come to the pursuit of evolution Mm -hmm. is I went through combat and being wounded in Iraq and dealing with PTSD and thought I had 
cured myself because you know, like, you know, did therapy, got on meds. I was like, oh, I'm cured. I got this figured out. And then like fell to rock bottom again. And this process of realizing, like, like you said, the word practice, like this is an ongoing journey. It's never as simple as Iraq never bothers me anymore. It's been 20 years since I was wounded. But on the anniversary of that, like it still creeps in despite all the work I've done. And it changed. It feels different now. I laugh about it. I have friends who buy me bomb-shaped cakes to celebrate the anniversary of the day I was wounded because that's where we're at with it now, you know? But like, it's this ongoing practice. And that's where for me, the pursuit of evolution kind of grew from is this thing of like, we need to be aware that this is going to keep, you're going to keep doing this work and it's going to show up in different ways and move in different levels. And, but you have to keep showing up for it. Yeah. It's an integration process Mm -hmm. that I still can't quite define. You know, I couldn't write the definition of what does it mean to integrate trauma? Um, And, and it's, it feels like there's something in the realm of acceptance, but while you were saying that about when you said like how close friends with permission can do a bomb shaped cake and have permission it's like that means it's integrated, right? We're not right. we're not laughing at a thing that's still a threat. We're yeah. we're we're laughing as we include it in ourselves and in our story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. I was digging through some of I, I always do a little research before a show. So I'm digging through, you know, your social media and stuff. And you mentioned self-partnership. And I have to admit I've never heard that term. Explore that with me. Yeah. And I can't, I can't own it. I did learn it from, from somebody else. I forget who it was years ago. Some, it was like some celebrity story that this female celebrity had said, don't call me single. I I identify as self-partnered. And so people like any, I remember reading a few things that were kind of hazing her a little bit on like, oh, now we can't say single or blah, blah, blah. But I sat with that and went, oh, oh, I like that. Because with the love project and saying, I love you, Jessica, like saying, I love you to myself, honestly felt a little maddening at first. Like, you know, like, what do we know about people who talk up to themselves? Like, that's usually some sort of disassociative disorder in a movie, and then they're going to kill people. I don't know, but it's never really portrayed as a good thing. Right. So being able to also have the self-partnership and that healthy othering, that Cause it's also like, there's the, the Buddhist, the observer role. So being able to see your, your life play out as if it's a movie and approach with curiosity. So it felt like it was a really good kind of homogenization of those, those different concepts. So towards the end of the book, I dig in more about self-partnership and whenever I stopped being single, because single for me personally, as being raised in terms of once you are old enough, you are to find a husband. And that is your, that's your key thing. That's the best way you can show up in this world is to be able to support your husband and have your children and be a good church goer. And that was just other dreams of mine were no, 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 no. Like you will be a wife. So realizing that even in my, in my thirties after (laughs) I think about the, uh, the 16 year old that was writing in her diary about like, none of the guys like me, blah, 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 to then be the 30 something year old. Who's like, I really need to stop dating. (laughs) I really need a break from this. And I did take the break to, to be self partnered. I was, I was wearing a jigsaw puzzle 
piece of of lack mm-hmm. who who am i actually preparing myself for who am i saving myself for who is going to complete me and whenever i shut the door on that i was able to really do and that's whenever you asked about how the the isolation with the lockdowns i was in that during the first lockdown mm-hmm. so i loved it mm-hmm. it gave me all the more permission to to just spend time on my own and i was trying to stop drinking i was trying to stop recreational drugs so they weren't there anymore i didn't have to try to say no it just wasn't an option and that's when the self-partnership really gelled i love that shift in perspective from like single to self-partnership and i think as someone who's done the similar single to me as soon as you put that language to it was this seeking seeking an outside thing that was missing and like finding your missing pieces but I'm completely whole without my husband like he's great and all (laughs) but like and that's when relationships changed for me when I met him I was done looking for a partner and it was going to be the me show for a while and he showed up and ruined that plan but like we lived very parallel lives for a while. Like the first year we dated, we actually talked about it. Like I'm doing this, you're doing this. If we continue to run parallel, great. But if either of us needs to take a turn, no hard feelings, mm-hmm. you know, and it gave us that space to both deal with our own stuff before trying to couple up. And like, now I, you know, it makes me a better partner because he's not a missing piece. I am me. Yeah. And so I really love that idea whether single or in a relationship, knowing and having that commitment and trust in yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And continuing self-partnership while being formally partnered with another as well. I, you know, it's not a book where I write about every relationship or anything, but there is one in particular where he showed an interest and I was just orbited. I just started to orbit him. And then he said, I love you within a couple months. And I quit my job and moved in with him change my whole life just of like just don't stop telling me you love me like i need this yeah. and it's it's of course you know no regrets it was a relationship i had to go through but it's one of those one of those like really three months eh like, <laughs> <laughs> you can't really get to know someone that well in three months right especially if you don't live in the same town yeah exactly but and you had already though been so preconditioned that like marriage wasn't a thing about knowing a person marriage was a thing about serving god so even if you'd already kind of separated yourself from that you still had that kind of base it was in there yeah yeah Yeah. and writing this book is where i was able to really get into the process of finding those weeds and pulling them out and weeds grow back right like i have a garden i know how it is it's it's a process (laughs) but i've loved that metaphor of just okay what's oh here's the thing because i'll do that with because i'm i'm actually I'm married now. Like that happened since the book was written. Like what? That's cool. Wasn't on the list of things to do, but happened just so naturally. And, and I'll be prone and I can talk to him about it and say, oh, I'm, I'm starting to lose myself. I'm leaning in too hard. I'm compromising. It showed up this week when I did this or I did that instead. And I wasn't being honest when I said I wanted to do that thing. I was trying to please you. And he's like, okay, okay. Like, what do we need to do? And and it's again, it's just like, here's this old conditioning. It's shown up. Help me pull this weed. Let yeah. us move forward. Yeah. And, and you just, 
keep it yeah it just it always shows up and it shows up at different layers in different ways I, and i feel the same then going the other direction i look at over the last 20 years since iraq i've had i don't know 15 different therapists some of them didn't stick around real long but i've had a bunch of different therapists and none of them would have been right for me if i had seen them at a different point in my journey like yeah. the tools they brought and the last therapist i was with i was actually with him for like 8 years when we finally when i moved and looked back on it and like looking at the therapy even I did with him in the beginning versus now is you're you're constantly building new tools too and this one doesn't fit anymore and this one breaks and so then there's this other process of having to keep testing and retesting to see yeah. what works and that's the evolution part isn't it that's why yep. I love your pursuit of evolution it's like sometimes you need gills <clears throat> excuse me sometimes you need gills sometimes you need wings <laughs> like oh you I just love that you evolve. Yeah. What is it that yeah. you, what is, what, what really serves you? What do you truly need and to adapt? Yep, exactly. So you, so swing back a little bit. And you'd also said this in some pre-show conversation we had, you mentioned you know, the previous relationship and you said no regrets. And I wanted to kind of go back to this thing of, do I'm lacking the words for the question I'm trying to ask. Do you carry that philosophy of kind of no regrets. There's nothing you've done in your life that's right or wrong. It was all just a part of the journey. Or are there things you look back on and wish you had hand that you regret? I think there's all things. I, there's things I wish I had handled different, but I don't regret them. Like yeah, that that resonates. Okay. I have the whole it, the 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 book is a lot of of story, and then at the end is is the this is how I've turned out now. This is how I'm doing, and part of that was brought to you by the Buddhist death meditation, which is something along the lines of what would today look like with no regrets? Or like, how do I have no regrets in this moment? Like, what does today, what is today without regret? Mm -hmm. And I was, I used that as my sort of the final process to accept that I can love myself, I can love this story, I can be proud of who I am, I can include in that the 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 upbringing, like releasing that shame, and also the the regret that I see that shows up. Because I've also, <laughs> I think about ten years ago, I went through, I experienced the sudden death of eight different people, between friends and family, close acquaintances, far acquaintances, like just a bit just like come on now and what i saw was the regret that people would have related to having not said something to someone when they were alive mm -hmm. and that to me is, is and this is a little bit like intellectual but it's like that's the true regret because it's something that you really can't it's like i regret not bungee jumping on that holiday so i can go somewhere else you know right I regret saying that thing to that person. I can reach out and I can try to mend things. I can, I can, I can maybe heal that. Right. And so that's where I was able to come into the deep acceptance of, I don't regret where things are with my parents. It has not been healthy to have them in my life. Yeah. And I, the last time that I saw them and they again <laughs> gave me, a fucking pamphlet about returning to the flock 
as a lost sheep. And it's like, I haven't been just forgetting to go to church for 20 years. Like, right. Accept me. And that's when it hit me that this, the love project work that I've been doing for, like I said, off and on for as a concept, at least for about six years that they, I just was like, wait, no, this is conditional. No, you have to accept me. That's you, you just, I accept you. I accept you and your beliefs and your religion. Accept me. And they were like, Mm, like we can't the decisions you've made and I was just like okay I'm out right then yeah no yeah we kind of touched on this before the official recording started on this thing of boundaries so when I talk about boundaries when I teach boundaries one of the really important things that I emphasize that the boundary is for us and how we're going to react Because I can never make somebody else do something. The boundary can't be telling them to stop doing this or, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. So in my situation, my dad was an alcoholic the last few years of his life. The bottle was the priority. And I had set the boundary. If you do these couple of things, I'm willing to re-engage in this relationship with you. Would you, is that the boundary with your family? Should pardon the choice of words here, but should a miracle occur and your parents left the church, would you test this boundary again? Or are we done, done? Which, you know, I respect the choice of like done, done. Like I want to clarify that for listeners, not trying to talk you into taking them back. I'm just curious, like how you presented that boundary to them or for yourself. And I don't, it's just what came up for me when you were saying that I don't even think they'd need to leave the church for me, even though it's bigoted and anti-gay and like, oh, there's so much about it that I'm just like, oh, that's, (laughs) that's tough. I would not choose to have anyone else in my life that's a member of that church or that type of belief set, someone who's bigoted and racist and all of those things. I just, I, I wouldn't be able to. However, they did give me life and I did choose them as my parents to come in. And that's like, that's a, that's a, that's an, I don't want to say bond because that sounds like a little bit more endearing than we're talking about, but that's a fact that cannot be undone. Yeah. I am part of their DNA. Like fact, I'm not denying that. I'm not trying to get away from it. It's there. We can't, we can't support you because you're living in sin. Things like that, that are just. Like, sure, guys. <laughs> right. Yeah, I've had so, some sex before marriage now. Had a whole lot of sex before marriage. And that's like <laughs> the worst thing ever. They don't know that I also got tattoos. They were sad when I got my nose pierced at 20. You know, like yeah. just, it's such <laughs> petty crap to yeah. to let that come between, within a, a blood bond of a family that it's, they, I, I, I almost have a hard time believing that that I came from that. Right. It, it's yeah. just so like you can kind of see it on my face just being like bubbling like the apple fell really far from the tree and then like turned into a I don't know a turtle or something like <laughs> just like right. very different. Rolled down the hill and ran away. Yeah. yeah. Oh and man. Wings and yeah. flew to another continent like the whole thing. <laughs> right. Right. 
And I appreciate you exploring that with me because I do respect, I, I am on the side of people who have to set those permanent boundaries and cut blood ties. I, I'm one of them, you know, and there's just, I see so much discourse. There's a TikToker I follow and she talks often about having gone no contact with her mother and the comment section just breaks my heart of how could you do that to your mom and how could you let go of your family? But in my experience, when the only interaction I had with my dad was him hurling insults at me, you know, it sounds like your, your folks, it's all comes with judgment and heavy judgment. Like, yeah. Why would I keep putting myself in that boundaries are about safety? Yeah. You know? And so I have to respect when you see that it's not safe, you set the boundary and do the work for yourself behind that boundary. Yeah. Yeah. And they haven't been safe for yeah. ages. Yeah. And my, I have three brothers and the youngest one also left the religion and he was married and he's had three, three children who are all grown now. And whenever he left the church, my parents said that they couldn't, they couldn't engage with him anymore, but they could see the kids. And mm -hmm. so he said, mm, like, you're going to preach at them and try to convert them. Like, come on. It, there's this funny thing that he and I will giggle at whenever there's some sort of, they'll try to put one over on, a, this is back when we were in touch, but they'd try to play a card that it's like, no, we've read the book with the cards that you're playing. <laughs> we know right. what you're up to. Like you raised us in it. We, we right. baptized ourselves into this church. We had to study to get baptized. And that's, that's what really broke my heart with my parents back then. I, and I forget when that was like 2008 or something. Cause I realized that like, even if I did have kids, they weren't going to be interested in meeting them. And that's, that was just mind blowing yeah. that, that the blood connection was so, so deprioritized and so foreign to them already. Yeah. Just for me, it was, I was heartbroken that if I had had kids, my dad wouldn't be safe to introduce my kids to like, my dad was actually sober the first three quarters of my life. And so like, I have this memory of this human, but that's not the house I would be bringing my kids into if I had had mm -hmm. kids. And it was just like, that was the one that was like the one thing that kind of hurt the most for me. And then when he finally died and realized like, he can never apologize now, like, I got my final answer. Like those were the hardest moments for me, but yeah, I still stand by protecting myself first. Yeah. Yeah. As hard as that can be, which I guess gives me a beautiful segue. I want to talk about self-trust a little bit. You mm. use the word a lot. I use the word a lot. I'm curious kind of what self-trust looks like and feels like to you. How do you practice it? Self-trust, it's ongoing. It's, and I, I think there's even, not to keep quoting the book, but I've done the audio book, so I've just read it. Yeah. And then I'm reviewing all the chapters, so I feel like it's getting a little bit memorized. But there is a part where I talk about self-trust and self-forgiveness. Hmm. So self-forgiveness for me is a big part of self-trust. Otherwise, if I keep hurting my own feelings, how am I supposed to build that trust? And I think I have a quote in there, something along the lines of, I don't have a story for you about how I learned self-trust. It has been an ongoing process. And it first showed up with dating that whenever I was starting to date again, once I felt that I had established the healthy self-partnership and I wasn't 
I wasn't dating out of obligation or lack, kind of like, oh, well, you're single, you have to be on these apps. Like, you can't just be single, you have to be have like your your card up and meeting up with people and realizing that I didn't compromise myself, like someone saying like, hey, yeah, you you seem interesting. And I'd, I'd like to see you again and being able to go. Oh, thank you. I didn't really feel it though, which I had never done. It was just like, they like me. (laughs) Go for it. Come in. (laughs) You like me? I don't like me. Good for you. I want more of that. You're going to give it to me. Like, and it's, it's a harsh thing to say. And I was doing that consciously, but I can look back and go, oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I'm looking, my own life is flashing through my, my vision right now. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Just yeah. yeah, I think for me, the big realization, like you said, I, I don't have this pivotal moment of realizing I trust myself or like knowing what, like sometimes I feel like the concept of self-trust is so intangible. That's why I like asking other people what it means to them. And like the kind of moment that made it click for me was that I don't trust that I'm always going to get the answer right. Mm-hmm. I trust that I have the resources that I'll be okay. And when I made that shift for me, I started trusting myself more because even if I completely fuck it up, I know I'll be okay. I know I have the resources to pick the pieces back up. And then it was like, okay, cool. We can, we can rock with that. Nice. Yeah. I really Mm -hmm. like that. It's the, just keep, keep showing up for yourself. Keep being reliable friend. It's, it's like, almost before self-partnership or being in love with yourself it's just like are we friends do you show up at the time that you say you were going to come get me like that sort of those little tiny things when you're building your friendship with someone that that help you know that the foundation's there yep exactly exactly this has been amazing tell us a touch more about the book because Depending on when this airs, it's either just about to come out or it just came out. Tell us again the name of the book and where we can learn more about you and get our hands on a copy. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm at jessica.evans.writes for my Instagram. Jessica-evans.ca is my website, which is a hub for all everywhere else I show up. I post on YouTube. I have my Facebook page, LinkedIn as well, like all over the place. It's really fun to talk about self-love on LinkedIn because it doesn't get a lot of hits. But I have had like a very successful business career. So I'm like, it's me again. (laughs) But look what I'm talking about. The book's right here. It's called Fade to Light, How I Learned to Dissolve Darkness. And it's going to be available on Amazon March 4th, 2023. So it'll be it'll be up there. And the audio book I'm just working through now, and that'll be available hopefully a little later in March. So that'll be on Audible as well once that's ready audiobooks are a lot of work <laughs> it turns are. out that's i was like of course i'm gonna read my book and then uh-huh. yeah it's, it's a lot of work so yeah that's my website my instagram that's the book it'll be on amazon and i've heard from i think i've got four different people right now that are putting it forward for book clubs and cool. while i was writing it i was thinking of here's a few little questions that i would have as part of of coordinating a book club so i'm going to put that together as well over the next couple months of because there's some really consistent metaphors in there that I think would be fun to have as part of an exploratory dis- discussion at the end of a book club as well. Oh, I love that. Awesome. I'm so excited for you and this book coming out. Thank you. All of your information is going to be in the show notes, so it's easy for people to find. This has been a delight. Thank you so much. If you've made it to this point in the show, I want to give you a huge thank you. 
for listening and hanging out with me. And I really hope this is just the beginning of our conversation. I love hearing from each and every one of you. So please reach out to me via email or on the socials and let me know what you think. Also, if you know somebody that needs to hear today's message, send them this episode. Who knows? You might just change their life.